0: tuned in to cfcr 90.5 fm it's time for the nerdy news it's punch radio and in studio you have jody and dave hi hello and you will hear from craig we are hankless it's okay he'll be back he's just not here this week so craig is on his own and he is talking about actually kind of an interesting topic roles that maybe could have been something completely different if the original person that they wanted to cast had been cast. So he's got his top five or six of those, like Hugh Jackman as Wolverine and Keanu as Neo. Could have been somebody else. And then he's got some DC news to cover as well. And then Brennan is going to talk about a Netflix show called Good Girls and also the release of Blue Beetle, which is out now. So you might want to check that out. And Dave and I are talking about Our favorite thing, comics, but we're also going to talk a bit about Mad and Cracked and Crazy.
1: Are they technically comics?
0: They are. They're comic magazines.
1: They have a lot in common with comics.
0: Well, and some of them started out as comics and Mm. then became magazines. We've been doing some road trips this summer. Yeah. And that is why... I'm so obsessed with them again, because when I was a kid, that was what we did. We would go to a used bookstore, and we'd have a little budget, and we could buy whatever we wanted to sit in the back seat and be quiet. So me and my sisters, we would load up on the old Archies and cracked and crazy and mad and uh, trade amongst ourselves, and that would you know keep us busy for many, many miles. So we did that for a couple of road trips this summer and did not disappoint.
1: Yeah, if you are somebody who's buying comics, and who's in bookstores, and maybe is even going to the odd garage sale flea market type thing, you can find these people unloading these old books for pretty cheap, and you've probably seen them before and thought like, oh man, I used to love those, I wonder, and then just like, ah no, I don't want that lying around after I read it, and maybe it's not as good as it was when I was 11, or or whatever. But... You know, we, we rolled the dice on that and it was it was fun.
0: It, they are we, fun. They, we had
1: a bunch of Mad magazines from about nineteen seventy eight to nineteen eighty one.
0: Which was really its heyday. Like in the in the nineteen seventies, in the mid seventies, Mad magazine had over two million copies in circulation every month. Wow. Which is astounding. That's a huge amount.
1: That's like how many people you would want to go see a movie in those days.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, and for me, like growing up, a lot of the movies that are classic canon, Mad was my first introduction to those. Like I learned the spoof of the movie long before I was old enough to see the movie itself.
1: Yeah, in this era that we were reading about, it seemed like John Travolta and Henry Winkler were Mad Magazine's favorite targets. But it could have just been because Saturday Night Fever and Grease and Happy Days were the big shows and movies of the time.
0: Yes, and Star Wars got a big piece of that pie, too. Oh, yeah. They made a lot of fun of Star Wars. Well, a little history of M.A.D., Uh, it started publishing in 1952, and it was the last Survivor, the last publication of EC Comics, which did all the creepy old eerie and all that stuff, which are also great, and you should totally put on your reading list if you haven't already. They published until 2018, but at that point they decide to axe their newsstand edition. And they they are still making it. Uh, It comes out every once in a while. Uh, We order in a few copies at Amazing Stories, mostly just for subscribers. Doesn't really sell off the rack too well, but it's still... It's still mad. It still spoofs everything. It's still great parody and these older issues are incredible because it had a mainstay of talent like everybody kind of washed through their doors like Wally Wood and Jack Davis, uh, Sergio Aragonis, of course the mad fold-in Al Jaffe who just passed away this past year. Great, great, interesting, funny, clever art.
1: Yeah, I mean I don't want to knock anything about Mad, but I mean really outside of the fold in and the movie parodies and Spy versus Spy. Sometimes Mad could get a little bit thin, but super fun for that backseat reading on the road trip, sitting around in a group of people reading these and like laughing and waiting to read the one that the person was laughing at. That that's that's kind of what we what we got out of this sort of Look back at M.A.D.
0: Yeah. Of course, there were the imitators. Cracked uh, first came out in 1958. And their pseudo-Alfred E. Newman, who they called Sylvester P. Smythe. uh, This one also folded itself in 2007. It's interesting because it actually... uh, John Severin, who was with M.A.D., jumped over to helm Cracked. So thanks, John. So it mostly was crap a lot of crap and John Severin he was very good but most of cracked was kind of crappy except for 1985 to 1990 Dan Klaus had a recurring column in there called the ugly family which is hilarious and uh, he definitely earned his chops doing that and then the lesser known Crazy. So this is the Marvel version of Mad and Cracked, and it only lived from 1973 to
1: 1983. Not very good. It was dirtier too. Yeah. Smuttier.
0: Definitely it was, smuttier. It was
1: almost like uh, I don't know, like if if
0: more boobs.
1: Yeah. If like if Mad. Now that you've like you know opened that door, if if Mad and Cracked were sort of like the Playboy and Penthouse of the time. Crazy would have been one of those, like, Hustler. you know. Sure. Yeah.
0: We'll go with that. We also have to mention two other publications that are remarkably similar, and that would be Cartoons which ran from 1959 to 1991 and then was resurrected in 2016 and is still going on. Some really cool, always had good posters and good iron-ons and also had some tutorials on drawing like crazy cars. And Alex Toth was a regular contributor to that. And then also National Lampoon, of course, 1970 to 1998. uh, Another great parody magazine. Yeah,
1: more of a magazine than a comic, that one. Yes, definitely.
0: Yeah. Um, If you want to learn more about National Lampoon, there's a really funny, good movie that came out in 2018 called Futile and Stupid Gesture, and it's sort of the fictionalized story of how National Lampoon came to be.
1: And also how it
0: connected to the early days of Saturday Night Live, and... Just the comedy scene in general. Right. Anyways, we love Mad, we love Cracked and Crazy... And you should get your hands on some. If you read them as a kid, they're definitely uh, targeted towards a very juvenile sense of humor and a very male sense of humor. Absolutely. Um, even though me and my sisters traded them, uh, we didn't know there were many other girls who actually, like, would go and buy mad on a monthly basis.
1: Yeah, but it definitely poked fun at both genders pretty equally. You could, like, you know, read a Happy Days parody and then turn right around and read a Charlie's Angels parody and, like they were giving it to both sides and themselves like that's what that was one of the things about reading mad is a lot of times the punchline is this magazine is terrible
0: and you're terrible for reading it that is basically it so yeah you can forgive the racism sexism all the isms that uh, this this publication is uh, well known for because it does it does take uh, aim at everyone equally yeah Okay, let's take a break. We'll throw things over to Craig and to Brennan, and then we're going to talk about some newer comics that have come out uh, so you can delve into something a little new. So take it away, fellas. Hey,
2: everybody. It's Craig Silliphant on Punch Radio on CFCR 90.5 FM, and usually I'm joined by my good buddy Hank Cruz, but uh, he's not here today, so it's just me. Uh, and I thought I'd do something a little bit different. Usually we talk about kind of some of the stuff we've been watching and stuff, but uh, I thought today uh, I'd go through a couple of different things, uh, time permitting, but I want to start with six very famous movies, very famous roles, but they almost didn't star the person that you know in that role. So, you know, obviously that happens a lot in Hollywood too, I should say, where, you know, they might look at 20 or 30 actors for, you know, something like Superman was being cast and they, you know, they look at tons of different actors, famous actors, not famous actors but uh, these ones where it came pretty close to being iconic role though that almost was somebody else so number six Hugh Jackman the X-Men when the X-Men first went into production Hugh Jackman was actually still a relatively unknown star although he was recommended by Russell Crowe uh, who was actually Brian Singer, the director of uh, X-Men's first choice for the role of Wolverine. The part went to an actor with more credits, Doug Ray Scott. But at the time, Scott was in high demand. I, you probably don't even remember that name. I, re- I remember it from uh, you know the video store days back in the like late 90s. But at the time, he was in high demand. He had just finished up on the set of Mission Impossible 2, but he had sustained a very serious motorcycling uh, injury. And once the role needed to re- be replaced... Executive producer Lauren Shuler Donner suggested Hugh Jackman step in. It was a perfect fit, and of course, Jackman went on to play Wolverine for 17 more years or so. Uh, X-Men was instrumental in launching Jackman's career, and the rest, as they say, is history. Number five, Keanu Reeves in The Matrix. Now, he's got four Matrix movies under his belt now, so uh, you know there's no denying Keanu Reeves was born to play Neo. Whoa. But his low-key, measured performance... Uh, You know, it keeps the Matrix rooted in reality, but once upon a time, Will uh, Slap Happy Smith was being considered for the part. According to a video posted by Smith in 2019, the actor turned down the lead role in the sci-fi thriller because he wasn't sold on the Wachowskis' initial pitch. And he ended up instead doing Wild Wild West, which, uh, well, if you don't remember that one, it was a critical and a commercial flop. Uh, of course, his career recovered, uh, well, you know, at least up until a year or so ago. But thankfully, his decision gave us Reeves, Neo. And I've never been a huge fan of Keanu Reeves, the actor. I think he's a great person. But what I will say is, uh, you know, what he doesn't, what he lacks in acting skills he makes up for in physicality. And I think a role like The Matrix, John Wick, those roles, those are perfect Keanu Reeves roles where he's actually really good in them. You minimize his dialogue and you let him use his body. And I think that, you know, that we saw that obviously in The Matrix. Number four, Audrey Hepburn's Breakfast at Tiffany's. So. Uh, it was based on a novella by Truman Capote, and it's a film that's defined by its lead, the enigmatic Holly Golightly. Uh, you know, there might also be a little bit of you know, racism of the time where you had uh, Mickey Rooney uh, dressed as her Chinese neighbor. Uh, that stuff doesn't hold up as well, even though the movie generally does. Uh, Audrey Hepburn was nominated for an Oscar after she brought this whimsical character to life, and it's hard to really think of anybody else in the role. I mean, it's so iconic. Uh, you know, she's got that signature brunette updo, or her pearls, a sleek black dress, It sort of became the symbol of American pop culture. But what if Holly Golightly had been played by Marilyn Monroe? That's right. Capote originally wanted the famous blonde actress for the part, but her mentor, Lee Strasberg, thought the character would be bad for her image. I mean, some of these things, it's like... Who knows what would have happened? Maybe there's a parallel universe where there was a breakfast at Tiffany's with Marilyn Monroe, and maybe that changed all their lives. Who knows? We, you know, we never know. I don't know, man. But what I do know is that number three is Tom Hanks in Forrest Gump. Now, before Hanks was attached to the role of Forrest Gump, the role was first offered to none other than, whoa, John Travolta. When asked by MTV in 2007 if uh, he regretted turning down the role, Travolta replied, no, because if I didn't do something Tom Hanks did, then I did something else that was equally interesting or fun. But I feel good about some I gave up because other careers were created. And it's true, Travolta ended up having a good deal of fun portraying Vince Vega in Quentin Tarantino's Pulp Fiction, which of course uh, resurrected his career. And Tom Hanks' performance as Forrest Gump ended up winning him the Oscar, beating out Travolta himself. So, Uh, But he's got a good attitude about it, I'd say. I I assume he's uh, been doing lots of Scientology auditing to work through these things. But number two... Reese Witherspoon in Legally Blonde, the character of Elle Woods, is deceptively tricky. On one hand, she's perky, she's frivolous, and she's naive, but on the other hand, she's confident, savvy, and ambitious. And Reese Witherspoon struck the perfect balance between both sides of Elle's personality, uh, resulting in a memorable performance that elevated you know, what could have been a very mediocre movie. But as it turned out, she almost didn't get the role at all. Christina Applegate was offered the part of the bubbly blonde first but she turned it down because she felt it was too similar to her role of Kelly Bundy in the TV show Married with Children and she said what a stupid move that was right in 2015 to uh, Entertainment Tonight. Reese deserved that she said though she did a much better job than I ever could have and so that's her life she explained that's her path. Uh, Again a pretty good attitude. That would have been Interesting, I think. I think Christina Applegate probably could have pulled that off. Number one, uh, you know, this one's not uh, a big secret or anything. If you're a a fan of movies, you might even know this one, but it's definitely uh, one of the most, it would be one of the craziest uh, reimaginings of this. Number one, Harrison Ford in Indiana Jones. Now, it's hard to imagine anybody else donning that wide brim hat, cracking the whip. But there was once a time when Harrison Ford wasn't a shoe in for the role of Indiana Jones. Originally, Steven Spielberg and George Lucas wanted to cast Tom Selleck, but once the TV uh, studio uh, found out that that. Selleck was being considered for this his contract with the show Magnum P.I. prevented him from accepting the part they decided to not let him do it make another season of Magnum P.I. and you know actually this is crazy because this is the second time in uh, Harrison Ford's career where this happened previously the role of Han Solo in Star Wars and New Hope was offered to Al Pacino before Ford signed on to the project so you know two of his biggest most iconic roles were almost played by somebody else and could you imagine I don't know if he would have shaved the mustache or not but I think Tom 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 Selleck would have made an okay Indiana Jones. I mean, obviously Harrison Ford embodies that role, but uh, I don't know, could have been interesting. Also, uh, a little bit of news this week. So, are DC making Wonder Woman 3 or not? As the old DC Extended Universe gives way to whatever DC Studios CEOs James Gunn and Peter Safran have planned next, a lot of popular characters and actors are finding themselves in limbo Does DC have a limbo? Marvel definitely has a limbo. I I can't remember. Gunn and Saffron are making a new DC universe and some established characters are being recast. They've already chosen uh, David Korenswet as their new Superman, for example, who's relatively unknown, as I was sort of mentioning earlier. Uh, he's, He's done a few more uh roles than I think Christopher Reeve had at the time when he was cast but uh he he looks like he could be an interesting one we'll see but that obviously overthrew um Henry Cavill uh who was the last superman so uh you know We'll see what happens with some of these roles. But there were some long-running DC actors whose fates were not entirely clear. Uh, Gal Gadot made one very popular Wonder Woman movie and then one not as popular sequel. That's, it's, it's terrible, to be honest. Uh, plus, she made some Justice Leagues. She did some cameos. She was actually just did a cameo in that Flash movie recently. She certainly could keep playing the role for quite a few more years if DC wants her. But do they? That's the part... We don't know. Gadot herself recently gave an interview where she claimed that, from what she heard, James Gunn and Peter Safran is that they're going to develop a Wonder Woman 3 together. But now these comments are directly contradicted in a new report in Variety. Their sources claim that Wonder Woman 3 is not in development at DC Studios, nor do Gunn and Safran have plans at this time for any Wonder Woman project in the new DC Universe other than their previously announced Paradise Lost prequel series for Max. Uh, And that series is supposedly a prequel about uh, Themyscira, the island home of Wonder Woman and her race of Amazons. So uh, think Game of Thrones, but with an all-female cast. The report also says that nothing was ever promised to Gadot regarding Wonder Woman 3, nor were there any definitive discussion of Gadot's Wonder Woman continuing with the DC Universe. So who do we believe here? It's possible to envision a scenario where both of these views are mostly correct. Clearly, there isn't a Wonder Woman 3 in the first batch of movies and shows in this new DC universe. But perhaps when Gunn and Saffron met with Gadot, they did discuss the possibility of Wonder Woman 3 down the line. Now, that possibility might be remote, or it could be more likely, or no one might know at this exact moment because all these other DC projects have to come out first. We won't know for a few years until that next inevitable Wonder Woman gets announced and then we'll see who's cast in the leading role I am hopeful I have to say thank God they didn't do this Uh, I was pretty wrecked well wrecked I mean I don't really care but I was Not happy when I heard that they were going to do this. The first movie's okay. Like I said, the second one's terrible. I think Gal Gadot is terrible. She's a really stiff actress. I always thought they should have had a tougher Wonder Woman rather than a supermodel, too. But we'll see what they end up doing with the character. Uh, It's interesting at any rate. Anyway, i got to throw back to Jody and everybody. Here we go. Hello again, Punch
3: listeners. It is Brennan here one more time. As every other time, to help give you suggestions to help improve your life and... Make the world a better place because really, if you're happy, that means everyone around you will be happy, which means the world will in fact be a better place. Now, I find when I have my suggestions, I'm either talking about something that's been out for quite a while and I'm late getting to it, or I'm talking about something that's brand new or something that hasn't come out yet. And today, I'm doing a little bit of both. Uh, I'm going to talk about a show that's been out for a while, already canceled that I just jumped into, that I'm addicted to right now. One of the few shows that I find I keep watching, even when I'm doing other things, and should be doing other things, but I'm not because I'm watching this show. And a movie that is going to be out now, like right now, as of today. Well, technically they do the thing where they say it's coming out on this date, but they do like a a preview the night before or whatever. So technically the day before, but I'll talk about that when I get to it. The first one though is Good Girls, that's right. Uh, This was an NBC show, it's now on Netflix. Good Girls stars Retta as Ruby Hill, Mae Whitman as Annie Marks, Manny Montana as Rio, Christina Hendricks as Beth Boland, and one of my favorite characters from Scream, well, the actor from Scream, Matthew Lillard as Dean Boland, and a whole bunch of other people. Good Girls follows uh, three suburban housewives, all in different parts of their life we have the older sister, the the older overachieving sister the younger sort of underachieving sister and the best friend that's there for anything and because they're on some hard times they decide to rob the grocery store that the uh, Annie, the young the younger sister works at because she thinks it'll be an easy hit and of course the manager finds out and chaos ensues now from that one crime they go from getting connected with the mob to becoming brilliant counterfeiters to getting investigated by the FBI. The Secret Service shows up and the wild, the, the riot gets more and more crazy as it goes on. What I really like about the show is that it does a good job of showing what good people could do if they had to do bad things. Um, sometimes it's for financial reasons. Um, sometimes it's because they find themselves in a situation they can't get out of it. But even more interesting... Sometimes you find out that you're really good at something, and maybe you shouldn't keep doing it, but you do anyway. Uh, the show sets up some really interesting characterization, for example, and not really spoilers because, like I said, the show is already canceled. They never finished their last season. I'll talk about that in a second. Uh, the hitman shows up, and at first you think he's not a hitman at all, and of course he is. So sometimes they play on these, on these tropes on what characters should be like. And they subvert them, so it's a bigger surprise later. Sometimes it's a bit of a red herring, but overall it works. We have our main kingpin reel, played by Manny Montana, who is great. He does a wonderful job of being suave and cool, and you can't help but like him. And then he does the most terrific thing you've ever seen, and then you despise him. But then you like him again, much like the characters in the show. Christina Hendricks plays Beth Boland, and she's very much the much organized gets things done kind of thing now apparently the reason they ever filmed the last season of the show was because the two of them were having fighting the rest of the cast actually asked for a cut and pay just to finish the last season but they couldn't work it out one more thing i like about the playing with the tropes is that most of the time when they try to rob someone or a good person tries to rob a store or a bank or whatever it never goes right and the people that are actually getting robbed or the the victims of the crime, aren't really scared. Now most shows, when a person shows up with a gun, everyone drops to the ground and they're crying or screaming and they're really afraid. Most of the people in this show, I guess, are used to it. So it really circumvents what would happen if the people actually aren't afraid of the crooks. So how much more, what does it take to be fearful? And you do get fearful because the ones that are scary are really scary. There's four seasons on Netflix right now. It's really good, the dialogue is good. The characters change. They're not stagnant. Uh, We see people that very much believe one thing, and by two seasons later, they're completely changing their course of direction uh, to make their lives work better. Uh, Check out Good Girls. It's on Netflix right now, uh, also on Apple and YouTube and other places. And the thing that's coming out right now, The Blue Beetle! That's right, Blue Beetle is out officially today, but preview probably, like I said last night. It's actually getting really great reviews, what I've read so far. So go check it out. Maybe Blue Beetle. It was getting mixed reviews, of course. There's always The ooh, boo, DC. But who knows? Maybe Blue Beetle's better than we thought. So next time I talk with you, I will let you know more about Blue Beetle. Until then, I will talk to you soon in Saskatoon.
0: Okay, thanks, guys. So we've been on the road, as we said, reading Cracked and Crazy and Mad and have a couple of things to review that have come out in the last couple of weeks. We'll start quickly with uh, Star Wars has a new arc that's happening and and, of course, it rolls over into a bunch of the other different stories and it's called Dark Droids. And it's kind of an interesting idea. It's like there's this sentient... Droid thing that has the soul of an organic and it's gonna take over all these other machines and stuff So it's going off across the world. It's written by Charles Soule who I really like. He is very inventive He always has good twists and the art is by Luke Ross. It's worth checking out but you got to read a lot of Star Wars. So it's like it crosses over into Star Wars Darth Vader, Doc Afra, and Bounty Hunters and then there's a bunch of other one-shots. So you got to get involved with it if you really want to take it down, but uh, it's an interesting premise. And then a few weeks ago we had a crossover Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Stranger Things and this is a mini series and this actually felt a little bit like Mad Story without like the stupid gags.
1: Yeah, it it makes sense. It looks weird on the cover, but then you start reading it as a Stranger Things, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles comic. And it in the first few pages, they, they make it make sense. Now, I have to ask you, why in this comic, at the risk of making myself sound stupid, do the turtles all have the same color... Mask
0: okay. Well, originally they did, they all had the red mask, oh. and, that, and the different colors came so, later. So,
1: how do you tell them apart?
0: You can tell them apart by what weapons they use, but also by the use of their names, which is constant.
1: Okay, all right. I knew that that might make me sound dumb, but no,
0: not okay. at all. Okay, um, this one is written by Cameron Chittick, and the art is by Faro Pay, and it is actually like kind of a fun little adventure. So, I'm gonna pick up the other in this series, they're usually about four. To a, to a mini series with the Stranger Things comic. So.
1: And, and if you're going to read this because you're a Stranger Things fan or thinking about it, one thing the comic can do that the show cannot is keep these kids in grade school forever. That's right. I, not that there's anything wrong with the high school age Stranger Things kids in more recent seasons, but if you read this comic, you know, we're going back to like grade school aged cast members.
0: True. So they can. Season li- one. Yeah, they can live forever at that age. Okay, quickly while we still have time, Conan the Barbarian is back. It's rebooted once again with Titan Comics, um, and this one is the art of Rob Delatore and written by Jim Zub, who you may know from a lot of Marvel. It looks like a John Buscema comic, like the guy did over two hundred issues of Conan. So we're well. Familiar with his look, and they have really imitated it well. Like, if somebody told me that this was one of John Bushemas, I'd be like, Yep, yep, I believe you. It's really nice art. And the story is like, okay, goes through the whole origin thing, but it is a great place for people to pick up who maybe never got into Conan before.
1: Yeah, you're gonna find yourself in taverns, you're gonna find yourself in brutal battles the enemies they are fighting in this number one are really scary they they kind of look like eddie from the iron maiden uh t-shirts yeah
0: imagine fighting a whole army of those so i'm going to continue with this and hopefully it continues to be great and that wraps up our episode for another week so you know where to find us here every friday on cfcr at six o'clock and in the meantime keep your dukes up.